It's from Matthew chapter 23, and we will just read verse 23 and then to 37 to 39. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. And then verse 37. Jerusalem, Jerusalem, this is Jesus speaking. You who killed the prophets and stoned those sent to you, how often I have longed to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. Look, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And as we continue our Psalm chapter 6, which is a Psalm of David. Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger or discipline me in your wrath. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am faint. Heal me, Lord, for my bones are in agony. My soul is in deep anguish. How long, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, and deliver me. Save me because of your unfailing love. Among the dead, no one proclaims your name. Who praises you from the grave? I am worn out from my groaning. All night long I flood my bed with weeping and drench my couch with tears. My eyes grow weak with sorrow. They fail because of all my foes. Away from me, all who do evil, for the Lord has heard my weeping. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be overwhelmed with shame and anguish. They will turn back and suddenly be put to shame. So I hope you are enjoying our series in Psalms, learning the language of faith. We've looked at praise. We've looked at confession. We've looked at what the Psalms teach us about the character of God and what the Psalms teach us about the law. And this week, we are looking at lament. We live in an age where we are encouraged to complain at every turn. I don't know about you, but every single time you order something online, you are offered the opportunity to give it a review because your feedback is important to us. Although sometimes I think the feedback that you can read from others tells us more about them than the thing they are reviewing. Like the comment, and this is real, that a restaurant diner who complained that their omelette tasted of eggs. <laughs> if, I, if I wanted eggs, I would have ordered eggs. But lament is so much more than just a simple complaint. And as I said, I think that one tells us more about the customer than the restaurant. 
But when does complaint turn into lament? Uh, how about this one? This one is to Sir Richard Broadbent, uh, who at the time was the chairman of Tesco. Dear Sir Richard, I write to offer congratulations on a truly impressive achievement, selling us salted popcorn sensations, yet this praise is not without bereavement. I found no real solace to my upset when I went to the shelf popcorn sits on and just found the lump in my throat you get when something you love is there, then it's gone. I live in St. Andrews, thus the issue. No plans to restock, you said with a sigh. So answer this, or hand me a tissue. Have I butter-kissed my true love goodbye? Let this be a dream, restock when I wake. I live with salt in my wounded heartbreak. And in reply, the office of the chairman of Tesco wrote this. Alas, dear ladies, your, wound, your woes are continued. The popcorn in question has been discontinued. At least from St. Andrews in Old Market Street, as nobody wanted to buy this sweet treat. The product in question is not one they chase, just when on offer as limited space. A decision was taken, though not in great haste, to delist this item, because it ended in waste. However, dear ladies, please dry your tears. We'll still sell your popcorn for many years. The only thing is that you may need to travel to find your true love for this tale to unravel. Your favorite popcorn is waiting for you across the Tay River. No, really, it's true. Our product is stocked in both Perth and Dundee, and I've found a way you can have it for free. Please smile again, the sun's coming out. You don't have to worry, you'll not go without. We know it's been stressful, we know it's been hard, but you can still buy your popcorn. Here's a 10 pound gift card. Now, lament is one of those things that is hard to pin down. One of those things that you know it when you see it, but you can't really define it. And although it is only about popcorn, I would suggest that the letter to, te to Tesco includes elements of lament. There is a problem, a statement of loss that is even described as a bereavement. There is a longing for things to be made right and an appeal to the one with the position to make a difference, or in the case of Tesco, to provide a gift card. I was tempted to do a Venn diagram, I love a graph, because lament lies at the intersection of so many things. It can include elements of complaint, confession, repentance, a request for help, intercession of longing, trust, and hope. The Bible, especially the Old Testament, is full of laments, both corporate and individual, and there are many psalms that we could have looked at today. 
And as I've already mentioned, Jesus alluded or quoted from some of the Psalms of Lament in his ministry. If it is part of the vocabulary of the Bible and part of the vocabulary of Jesus, it certainly should be part of the vocabulary of the Christian. and look at this Psalm 6. This will inform about what we understand to be lament. It starts in verses 1 to 4 and then again in verses 9 as a call on the name of the Lord. It is a prayer to God, not just... I've gone off, haven't I? It's my, is, the mic, is it me or is it... I feel as though the microphone's turned off. Can you hear me? I'm back. Hey! So verses 1 to 4 and then in 8 and 9, David calls on the name of the Lord, Yahweh. And perhaps it is stating the obvious, but a Christian lament is directed to God. It always starts with a recognition that it is to him that we pray. And that bases the reality of our lament in the reality of relationship with him. He is a God who is relational and interacts with his children. And even if there is later complaint either to or at God in lament, by directing our prayer to him, even in the darkest of times or situations, it is a statement of belief that he is there. If we look at Psalm 42, we won't do that today, but I would encourage you to read it perhaps later. 42 and 43 form one long lament. And in there, the, the psalmist is at a low point, feeling utterly abandoned by God, but still calling out to him. Throughout the Psalms, we see the writers crying out to the Lord, calling him the living God, the sovereign, the Lord, my strength and my refuge. It is not just a bit of chit-chat with God, like a conversation over the garden fence. It is a turning to the Almighty, the one who alone is the one to whom we should direct our cry. And we come to God having identified a problem or a complaint and we lay it before him. In Psalm 6, David is deeply, deeply sorrowful. And initially he even directs some of his pain towards God. God is almost part of the problem. The prospect of rebuke and discipline that he talks about in verse 1 are part of David's distress. And although nothing specific is mentioned, perhaps that is an inference that he is confessing sin. But even if that is the case, he also goes on to talk about being faint. He's in deep anguish, worn out, weak and frail. His bed is flooded with tears either literally or metaphorically. And all those things can afflict us without it being anything to do with our being sinful. He complains about being surrounded by evil and his enemies. These are things not of confession of sin, but of oppression. 
David references physical, mental, and spiritual problems. His whole self is suffering. And so often all of these things go hand in hand. Suffering in one aspect of our life can rarely be compartmentalized. In suffering, there are so many anguished questions, whether it's suffering physically, mentally, emotionally, or spiritually. And like David, we cry out to God, how long, how long is this going to carry on? And at the core of lament is that cry, a cry for help. It is an appeal to God, often because there is nowhere else to turn. If this psalm started, started with a little bit of angst towards God at the thought of his discipline, in verse 2, David quickly turns to God for the solution. Have mercy, heal me, he says. In verse 4, turn and deliver me, save me. This psalm is not just a whinge at God. It is the expectation of action by God and from God. And the expectation of that action is on the basis of who God is. In verse 4, David invokes God's character. He talks about God's unfailing love. And it's because of that love that he knows he can rely on God to act on this problem. He holds on in the depths of his anguish to what he knows to be true about God. He remembers in the darkness what he has learnt in the light. And as this psalm draws to a close, David's despair is turned again to trust. He relies on the certainty of being heard. The Lord has heard my weeping, he says. The Lord has heard my cry for mercy. The Lord accepts my prayer. David is absolutely sure that his prayer it's not a, a cry in the wind, a cry to nothingness, but that his words will be heard by God. And because of this trust, he boldly asserts that his enemies will be put to shame. He doesn't, he doesn't say maybe or perhaps. He has absolute confidence that his enemies will be defeated. There is therefore a complete turnaround in fortunes. David will be restored with no more need to fear or faint. That is now to be the, the fate of his enemies. David may have been in absolute anguish, but he resolutely trusts in God to hear his voice and to act. So in this psalm, we have the key elements of biblical lament a call on the name of the Lord, a recognition of a problem, a cry for help, and a certainty of being heard. 
And if you look through the Psalms, you will see those core elements in so many of them. Other elements might come into play, like confession and repentance. It might be a personal lament for our own fallenness and the situation that we are in. But it can also be, and there are many examples in the Bible as well, of corporate lament. A plea for God to intervene on behalf of a nation. A call to national confession. And a calling back of wayward people to the ways of God. So if that's what biblical lament is, why is it important to us here today? Why is it important that we have the vocabulary and language of lament in our lives? First, I suggest it deepens our relationship with God. In lament, we open ourselves up to, uh, up to God, acknowledging our needs, depending on him for the solution. We pray, along with David in one of his other psalms, Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. This opening up in lament changes us and moulds us to be more like him. In him... And in these examples, we know it's okay to take our troubles and worries to God. We don't pretend they don't exist. But we go to the source of all comfort and strength. This is what Jesus did in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in lament, we may even scream and shout at God. And there are plenty of biblical examples that make it okay to be angry with him. But that is why we lament, because he would rather we take our anger, anger to him than dispose of him in our lives. In lament, we speak in faith that he is there, that he does hear us, and he does act. Secondly, it's part of the imperative for us to pray for the needs of the world. In lament, we are seeking to align our heart's cry to God's and to look at life with heaven's eyes, seeing the pain in the world and bringing it before him. As we look into our own lives or as we look at the world around us and the lives of those we know or see in the news, every time we see a fracture or a chasm between what kingdom living should be like and what is actually experienced is a time to prompt lament. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, as I'm sure you will recognize Christ taught us to pray, is a form of lament. Identifying the problems might seem easy, but actually we need to sit with God to truly, truly get in line with his heart. It's like those, do you remember when you were little, you had those spot the difference pictures? And there'd be two pictures that would almost be identical, 
and you had to spot the difference. And the first two or three, there's always ten. I always remember as a child, there was always ten things to find, wasn't there? And the first two or three would be quite easy to identify, but as you sat there, it got a little bit harder. And I think sometimes we can, and I speak to myself as much, we can spot the differences between kingdom living and what life is like quite easily. But actually, sitting with God, he may open our hearts up to more things that we might easily miss that he wants us to bring before him in prayer. And it's in this sitting with God, it's in lamenting in line with his heart that we are molded and transformed. Lament then expresses a deep longing to see the fulfillment of all that Christ has promised and that we are promised in Christ. Release for the captives, food for the hungry, justice for the oppressed, forgiveness and new life for those who are lost without Jesus. And just like Moses, we are to stand in the gap and to plead to God on behalf of a lost and broken world. Lament is identifying the problem and asking God to act. And I find this, this so challenging. When was the last time I wept? When was the last time I actually wept over the lost, the poor, and the hungry? In lament, we are to become like Christ, to feel the need of those who are hungry and lost, to feel it as keenly as he did, to feel it as keenly as he did when he condemned the Pharisees in the reading we had earlier, and he lamented over Jerusalem. In lament, we say to God, break my heart for what breaks yours. And finally, I think it's important for Christians to have the language of lament because without a failure to lament can be deeply damaging. I have a theory that failure to lament is linked to idolatry. We have to be willing to acknowledge the problems of some of the things that we may hold in high esteem, but which can cause harm. By way of example, has anyone seen the 2015 film Spotlight with Michael Keaton? No. It's a very good film. I absolutely recommend it if you can get hold of it. It's the story of the team of investigative journalists at the Boston Globe. And they were the team who first brought to the world's attention the problem of child abuse with, from Roman Catholic priests. And they exposed and identified that when there were accusations of abuse, the priest would be put on sick leave or moved to a different parish. And I wonder, had there been an attitude of lament for the victims rather than concern for the reputation of the institution, would there have been an opportunity to stop that sooner, to help prevent further abuse of other children and vulnerable people? In this example, was the 
institution of the church idolized in place of confession and repentance and a plea to God and a standing alongside the victims. I don't want to just point the finger at the Roman Catholic Church. We know there have been other problems in other denominations, including evangelical churches. But I think that is an example where spiritual lament is so important and an absence of it can lead to harm. If the church is to show the heart of God to the world, then we need to show the world that the heart of God is one who feels pain, who is more concerned with the needs of the lost than in propping up powerful men and institutions. And it's easy to look at that in hindsight, but as Christians, if we are spending that time with God, aligning our heart with him, we will keep in touch with the Spirit, in step with the Spirit, so that we can bring to God the things that are on his heart and that he is asking us to pray for. So in lament, we open our hearts to God and cry to him to help. It's when we, say thing, when we see things with heaven's eyes and cry, this is not right, please God, change it. And in a moment, we will be sharing in bread and wine, remembering the death of our Savior who came to a world that was broken and lost. And he came to inaugurate the new kingdom. And so as we come in uh, an attitude of prayer and openness to God, let us sing, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. <laughs> 